Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and crafty and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Let us pray. Father, take your word this morning and put it in our hearts. May our minds be open and receptive and comprehend your truth. For our need today, we pray, for especially the opening of our hearts to you. Would you bless us and be with us throughout this service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is Paul writing to the church that is in the city of Ephesus. He's not writing to unsaved people. He's writing to the church. He points that out in the very first verse of the first chapter when he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So what we have to say this morning and see in this passage of scripture, he's talking to us, the church. Not just the members of the Olive Branch Baptist Church, but all people who, who claim to be Christian and are part of the body of Christ. 
It's interesting that he begins the first verse of this fourth chapter with a charge to the church. A charge to all who are believers, regardless of your affiliation with an earthly body that we call the church. He charges us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Sometimes we make a distinction between occupation and vocation. Probably we should. Usually, we ask each other, what's your occupation? Seldom do we ask, what is your vocation? Unless you're talking to a preacher, and then you'll almost always ask him, what's his vocation? As if there is to be a distinction between the two. But I want you to notice that Paul is talking to every member of the church and charges them to walk worthy of their vocation. To which they have been called. We might have an occupation to pay the bills with the income that we get from it. But we have a higher level of function that to which we have been called of God, our level of service, our position within his work, I want to use this morning as the term vocation. And Paul is charging us to walk in a manner that is worthy of that to which God has assigned us. Second verse, he says, some things that are very important. It is a, a verse of attitude when he says, Walk worthy with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now let's put those into words that we can perhaps understand a little bit. Lowliness. Uh, is not probably what we think it is, and they even meekness and so on. Let me read it this way. With all humbleness and gentleness and patience, allowing for the faults of others. That's the meaning. That's the attitude that every person who claims the name of Christ is to have as he and she engages in the position, in the vocation to which God has called each of us. Being humble, being gentle, being patient, and allowing for the faults of others. Now that's just a little bit tough to do. Because we want everybody to act like we act and we are the standard. And nobody can possibly be right if they don't do it like I do it. Isn't that what we say? Or at least think. If we would be honest, our standard is ourself. 
We are not prone to allow for a person to have a fault. But Paul tells us to engage ourselves in our vocation in a manner that will recognize that we are not people who are perfect, but people who have our faults. And we will approach then our ministry very humbly, very gently, very patiently with each other as we recognize that we all have faults. Verse 3. I want to go over the early portion of this scripture a little more hurriedly because I want to deal with the last portion of it this morning. He charges us that we are to endeavor to keep unity. Endeavor to keep unity. There is no reason for disunity amongst Christian people. And the reason that we cannot justify disunity amongst Christian people, he gives us when he says, because there is only, verse 4, one body, that is the body of Christ, i.e. the church, there is only one spirit, there's only one hope, there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's all there is. And if we're worshiping one God and serving one Lord and are filled with one Spirit, we can have nothing but one faith, one hope, one plan, one church. It's all unity. Granted, we see things differently. That's why he told us to be patient with each other in the preceding verse. But, look at verse 7. Here's where I wanted to get. Unto every one of us is given grace. He's talking to the church. Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, what does he mean here? What is grace? You've heard that question asked, and you probably know the pat answer. Pat answer. It's the undeserved love of God toward man, and that's true. There's not one of us that deserves God's grace. We're all undeserving. We're all sinners. We cannot possibly say that we deserve anything that we get from God. It's undeserved love. It's that thing that God did when he saw fit to give Jesus Christ on the cross to save us in order that we might uh, not die eternally but have eternal life. But that's not all of it. And usually we stop at this point when we talk about the grace of God. He's, look at the verse again. Unto every one of us is given grace according to something or in relationship to a gift. 
another dimension. All of us have said, except for the grace of God, I'd be dead. Except for the grace of God, I would have been killed in that accident. We all ought to say, except for the grace of God, referring to somebody who has certainly gone off the deep end, there would go I. What are we saying? It is the power of God that keeps us where we are. Therefore, we're talking about something more than salvation. We're talking about something that happens after salvation. Remember, he's talking to people already saved. And he says that God is going to give the person already saved his grace in proportion to a gift. Verse 7. Twelve forty-eight, Jesus speaking, says to of him, to him that of him, well, let me go to it. I started off wrong and therefore I can't quote it now. For unto whomsoever much is given of him be much required. To whom much is given, of him much is required. Do you really want much from God? You know, here is, here is something that we say, I, and we pray in our prayers, and I've heard it, and I've, in my counseling sessions, people talk to me, I really can't understand why God does not give me thus, 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 and thus. Perhaps you've said it as well. Why is God withholding from me? Do you really want that from him? Because if you want it and get it, on the other hand, you're going to have a requirement placed upon you. To whom much is given, of him much is required. You get it, you are required. You have an obligation as to what you do with it. All right. The scripture says that God is going to give grace, that is his power, his enduring power, in proportion to what he gives as a gift. Acts 1.8 says, Since I goofed up the other one trying to quote it, I'm not going to try to quote this one, so I'll turn to it. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. I want you to, that's Acts 1.8, the Lord talking to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice the two-fold approach. You will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses. The responsibility that comes with the power. Now, 
Look at, skip, well, look at verse 8. And then we're going to skip down to verse 11. Verse 8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. There are two statements in here. One of them we will not deal with, the leading of captivity captive. That's talking about when Jesus descended to hell and took out of hell back to heaven with him those that were captive there. We'll forget that. Look at the second part of the verse. When he ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto men. He said, I will go to my Father and I'll send you a comforter. He said to the apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you power to fulfill your obligation. The witness there in Acts 1.8. What are the gifts? Go down to verse 11. He's going to give gifts. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Well, you can say, well, that leaves me out. I don't have to worry about any of those obligations because I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not a teacher. Most of you would say I'm not to all five of those. So does that, does that leave you all out? Well, go back to Romans chapter 12 a moment with me. Back up there. Romans 12. At verse 4. This is still Paul talking, this time to the church at Rome. And he says, for we have many members in one body, and here we are, many, many different people here in one body, and all members do not have the same office. We're not all the pastor, we're not all the deacons, we're not all the trustees or the Sunday school superintendent or all the teachers or whatever other offices we might be. We all have different offices. So we, being many, are one body, even though we've got many different offices, we're one body, and every one members one of another. We belong to each other. We're not separated out and somebody over here and somebody there. Every member makes up the body. Verse 6 then, having then gifts, there's the word again, gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. Then he says, now, if you've got prophecy, then prophesy. Verse 6. Verse 7, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, here's another list of gifts. Some people are prophets, some are ministers, some are teachers, some are people who give, some are people who have other offices. That's what the word ruling means. And some are people who show mercy. Some are simply a part of the ministry. In other words, there is not a single person in the body of Christ that can excuse himself from fulfilling a gift given to him. You have yours, I have mine. We all have our assigned gift. And with that gift, comes two things. One, an obligation to fulfill 
dutifully and honorably that which we were given to do. We have that gift. And the second is God gives us the power to perform what he has given us. This is where we fall short. People start saying, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do something else. If God gave you the gift, you can do it because he empowers you to do it. What are we to do now that we have been assigned these responsibilities? What's our purpose? Verse 11. Some he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and so on. Verse 12. Here's the purpose. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Three statements he makes. We are to use our gifts in number one, in making perfect saints. Well, we got our job cut out for us there. To make perfect saints. But do you not realize that we are told to be as Christ is? Be like him? Be, his, be an imitator of him? We are told to do that. We have never attained our position in this life until we have imitated the very person of Christ. Therefore, the ministry of the church is number one, to strive to make perfect Christian people. That's our job. We'll have it for as long as the church is here because we have not attained that position, but we are to strive for that purpose. Our job is to make perfect Christian people. Now let me say something. Too many times, too many church people think the only preaching there is to be done is to win the lost, and that just isn't so. I know you have heard preachers who spend every sermon, the entire length of it, doing nothing but preaching to the lost. And that's fine. We need to reach the lost for Christ. We need to present the, the gospel. We need to present the plan of salvation and give invitation to people for people to receive Christ. But that's only a portion of our job. The other portion is, is to try to make those of us who are already saved more perfect than we are now. And that's an eternal job. And some of you do think, oh man, including me. We're not going to get there. None of us are. To that state of perfection, but that's our task. Secondly, he says, for the work of the ministry. That is all inclusive, and there's nothing specific in that phrase, but I like to think of it, as, and I think this is what he is intending to say when he makes that statement for the work of the ministry, that is to equip believers to better serve. The job of the church is to equip each of us to serve the Lord better. 
Thirdly, he says, for the edifying, that is the building up. Whenever you see the word edify in the Old English, that means build up the body of Christ. And what is the body of Christ but the believers? And, and so we can use the term church there well. Isn't it rather amazing that the Lord left the church behind him when he left this world and assigned the church the responsibility of carrying the gospel? He left it to us. A very unique position. The job of the church is to build the body of Christ. That's why we do reach out continually in all of our ways, our missionary efforts in other ways, in order to, to build up, to increase the size of the body of Christ. <coughs> To do all the work that has been assigned to us and try to make us perfect saints. Well, how long are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to try for a week or two or a month or a year and say, well, I tried. Didn't work. I hear that. Verse 13 says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith until we all finally see eye to eye, have become as near like Christ as is, as is possible to come, until we have come to that place of complete unity with Christ. We're to keep trying. Folks, there is no retirement from Christian service. None. You can't reach an age of retiring from serving Christ. He made no retirement plan in this world. Somebody has said the retirement plan for the Christian is out of this world, and that's exactly right. What I'm saying is, however, that there is never a point in one's life that he can say, I've done enough, let somebody else do it. We are always to be serving until there is a unity in the faith we are to strive. Secondly, until, and I think I can use that word well here, verse 13, until we have the knowledge of the Son of God, to the knowledge of the Son of God, until people have learned all there is to know about Christ, we're to still work at it. Do any of you know yet all that's in this book? If you do, let me know and I'll let you teach on Wednesday nights. This is a book of continual study and it amazes me when I, from time to time, read the same verse over and see something I've never seen in the world before. There it is, a new thought, a new idea. How long are we to keep on working as a church until there is unity, until we have a complete knowledge of Christ, and thirdly, until everybody believes and measures up to this person called Christ? And verse 14, he gives us one other phrase. And until there we are no more children just tossed to and fro. 
We need to grow. Many people who are adults are still babies when it comes to their faith. They get their feelings hurt real easy. They cry a lot. They need their bottom spanked a lot. We can't physically do that, but you see my, my point. We need to grow continually and forever in every aspect of the gospel so that we are no longer just tossed about. This is what's happening in our world. You see churches springing up all over the place, a little group here and a little group there, a little group somewhere else, all over the place, names that I never heard of in my life. I can't understand where they got their names and what possibly their doctrine could be that they have an edge on anybody else. But here they are. People are being tossed around. We have had members of our own congregation who have been made so confused and so disturbed because this person or that person, this church or that preacher began to say, hey, what they teach at Olive Branch just isn't so. You've heard those things. Listen, it's time for us to be firm in our belief and quit being tossed here and there by everybody who comes along with an idea. The scripture tells us to try the spirits. Put what they say to the test. Look at the scripture. Find out if they know what they're talking about. We've grown a lot in these last few years. I can't speak beyond four years ago because I wasn't here. We've got a long way to go. We have an assignment given by the Lord himself. And Paul says, walk worthy of that assignment. And work at it, whatever your assignment is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, making perfect saints out of its members, and work at it until everybody is in agreement, there's complete knowledge of God's Word, and we look and act like Jesus Christ. That's when we'll stop. Which means we're not going to stop as long as this old world stands until the Lord comes. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.